Hey, pastors, we know you love your clerical shirt because of what it means, but how does it feel? Under all those vestments, is it hot and sticky? Is it too tight, too loose, or just not comfortable? Wicking Vicar has the solution for you. The Performance Clerical Shirt, featuring four-way stretch to let you move and moisture-wicking fabric to keep you cool. Plus, it's machine washable and wrinkle-resistant. Visit wickingvicar.com and treat yourself to more stretch, more movement, and easy care. The Performance Clerical from wickingvicar.com. wickingvicar.com. Welcome to Concord Matters, a show seeking for concord, agreement in Christian confession. Concord mattered to Jesus and Paul, and so it does to us also. Spend these next 60 minutes as we talk matters of Concord. Concord Matters, a program produced by the Christ-centered leader in confessional broadcasting, Worldwide KFUO, online at kfuo.org. And welcome to Concord Matters, the show where we seek to be of one mind, that is, the mind of Christ, and to do that, a couple of Christ-confessing Concordians confer with the Book of Concord to conform what we believe, teach, and confess according to Scripture in our Lutheran Confession of the Faith. On today's show, we are continuing our series on the Augsburg Confession, today covering Article 25 on Confession. I'm your host, Pastor Sean Smith, pastor of Bethlehem Evangelical Lutheran Congregation in Mason City, Iowa, and my companion confessor in conversation about this article today is Pastor Dustin Beck. He is pastor of Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Warda, Texas. He is also one of the pastors involved with this circuit serving the newly established confessional Lutheran church plant of Epiphany in Bastrop, Texas. And he teaches theology at Faith Lutheran High School of Central Texas. Pastor Beck, welcome back to Concord Matters. Hey, hey, good to see you, Pastor Smith. How are you? I'm great. Uh, great to have you back on. We had you on for Article 2 on Original Sin. Yes, sir. And now uh, we finally get the follow-up to uh, dealing with that, right? You know, several articles later, we finally get an answer to that sin problem. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Although we should also say that this is actually the second time we've talked about confession here. Yes. Previously, Article 11 was also on confession. And so uh, any kind of things to set us up before we kind of get into reading it here of what's going on with these two articles here. Of course, there's a lot more to, to discuss about that as we get into reading it, but anything to kind of set it up there? Well, absolutely. There's a lot to talk about. I mean, uh, first of all, why is there confession twice in the Augsburg Confession? Well, obviously, because it's so important. Uh, you, you know, you've, you haven't fully broached the subject until you've talked about it twice. And I do have to warn all of our listeners that I did go back and listen to Article 11. So I did my homework and we're just going to have the same conversation that you had there as well. No, I'm just kidding. I don't think we're going to do that. But uh, <laughs> Pastor Burkholz did a great job when you talked with him about that a couple of weeks back. So, uh, no, the reason that we have a second article here on confession is because in the first major chunk of the Augsburg Confession, essentially what the Reformers are trying to do is they're trying to lay out, here is what we believe, here is what we teach, here is what we confess. This is our doctrine. And then when you get to the last seven articles in which we are Well, in the middle of that right now, they're going to be dealing specifically with the abuses of the Roman Catholic Church and the ways that the Romans, uh, Roman Catholics had at this point sort of veered off of the straight and narrow path, uh, how they had lost some of the true teachings and how they had become a stumbling block 
to comforting the consciences of their parishioners. And so this is going to re-examine confession. I, I like the fact that Article 25 is going to point out the same two basic premises that were back in Article 11. That is that confession is not abolished among us. And then also that we do not find it necessary to name every sin, or as the psalmist says, who can discern his errors? How can we keep track of all of our sins? So those two things that were from 11 are also going to be here, but we're going to see it teased out a little bit. They're going to add more detail, more scriptural references for sure. And then also a couple of references to the church fathers. That'll be fun to talk about. And then they argue fiercely to retain the practice of confession and absolution. Uh, this is perhaps an effort not to throw the baby out with the bathwater, as the expression goes. We want to make sure that we do keep confession because it is a useful right within the church because it's a vehicle by which absolution can be delivered. So um, that's kind of the backdrop for us here. Was there anything else that you kind of had in mind about getting us into the text? Yeah, I think that's an excellent backdrop there, as you say, to get us into it. But one other thing that I would like to cover here just a little bit, we covered it a little bit when we talked about it on Article 11. But, you know, this term just keeps coming up. Obviously, we're in the Augsburg Confession, and then you have confession. Yeah. And I think it's a good thing for us to always define our terms. I feel like that's basically what I do on this show week after week is what is it we're talking about? Like, let's define our terms and have an understanding of that the way scripture teaches it and so forth. And so with confession, again, because we see it with Augsburg Confession and then also these articles on confession, what is it we're talking about when we say confession? How do these things relate together and understand? Sure. This, this is a great point that needs to be made right from the get-go, is to confess something. You see the first three letters, C-O-N. Um, many of us uh, who live down here in Texas will recognize that from uh, many of our Mexican food dishes like chili con queso, right, or beef con carne, things like that. Con in Spanish and also in Latin uh, means with or together, right? So you have these things together. That's easy enough. And then the fashion part of this has with it the idea of speaking. And that comes from a couple of different places, actually. Um, I believe Latin is where we actually get it, that it draws straight in of the saying together. Uh, the fateri or the fari, I believe in Latin, is to speak. Uh, my Latin's not as good probably as yours is because you spend so much time in the Book of Concord. But the uh, when we see the word confess in specifically in the scriptures, you know, in the New Testament, which is written in Greek, it's homologeo, which you can hear there, uh, H-O-M-O, as in homogenized milk, which means milk that is, you know, all of the same substance, et cetera. It's been purified. It's been, uh, you know, however they do that with milk. I'm not a dairy farmer. But the idea is that you have the same, right? Logeo is the same word for logos. It's the word that means to speak or the word. And so it's saying the same words. Now, in terms of the Augsburg Confession, this is what the princes of the Reformed, uh, you know, the uh, Reformation areas, uh, especially Saxony, a couple of places around where Luther's doing his thing, they're gathering together to say the same thing together in a city called Augsburg. Um, any of you that remember the Martin Luther movie from a couple of decades ago, the newer one that came out, probably, Pastor Smith, when you and I were in high school, I think, when that one came out, that was kind of the big high point of the film, was that they made their confession, and then they, they ran back, you know, and they were on horses and everything, and they told Luther, you know, they've heard our confession. Well, we don't actually think that they listened to the confession. In fact, Emperor Charles very likely fell asleep during it because 
they were speaking in a language he didn't know. But that's another whole other com- uh, conversation for another day. When we're talking about confession in terms of the Augsburg Confession, it means to say the same thing as one another. When we're talking about confession in terms of Article 25 of confession, what we mean there is saying the same thing that God has said specifically concerning our sin. So when we say along with God what he has said concerning our condition, which is, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner, and then he does. So you have both of those meanings going on. I think it's a very important thing. Thank you for bringing that up, that we do need to mention kind of to define terms here. What are we talking about when we say confession? It means to say the same thing. And in this limited context here in Article 25, to say the same thing that God has said regarding our sins and our need for forgiveness. Yeah, I also want to add to that since you bring it up, and I am by no means very good at Latin either, but I do know that, you know, you have confessio in the Latin, but then kind of the root of that is confitery, and I probably am pronouncing that incorrectly. I'm told my Latin pronunciations are terrible all the time, but anyway, that confitery there is really acknowledge, and I always like to highlight that point too, because everything that you just said about, you know, the same say and everything like that. But when you acknowledge this, right, you know, that helps us understand how these two things fit together because you are both acknowledging your sin before God, right, when you make confession of sin, but then you also are acknowledging that this is the faith, right? Right. Anyway, I think this will all come out together, especially when we see some of the text here, the focus of confession obviously is also on the absolution as well. But yeah. we'll get into that as we actually read it here and let you uh, lead us through that. So. I'm going to go ahead and read the article here in its entirety. Of course, a reminder on this show, we read from Concordia, the Lutheran Confessions, a reader's edition of the Book of Concord, available to you from Concordia Publishing House, a publishing arm of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. And this is Article 25 from the Augsburg Confession on Confession. Confession in the churches is not abolished among us. The body of the Lord is not usually given to those who have been examined, 1 Corinthians 11, 27 through 28, and absolved. The people are very carefully taught about faith in the absolution. Before, there was profound silence about faith. Our people are taught that they should highly prize the absolution as being God's voice and pronounced by God's command. The power of the keys, citing Matthew 16, verse 19, is set forth in its beauty. They are reminded what great consolation it brings to anxious consciences and that God requires faith to believe such absolution as a voice sounding from heaven. For example, John 12, verses 28 through 30. They are taught that such faith in Christ truly obtains and receives the forgiveness of sins. Before satisfactions were praised without restraint, but little was said about faith, Christ's merit and the righteousness of faith. Therefore, on this point, our churches are by no means to be blamed. Even our adversaries have to concede the point that our teachers have diligently taught the doctrine of repentance and laid it open. Our churches teach that naming every sin is not necessary and that consciences should not be burdened with worry about naming every sin. It is impossible to recount all sins, as Psalm 19 verse 12 testifies, who can discern his errors. Also, Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? If only sins that can be named are forgiven, consciences could never find peace. For many sins cannot be seen or remembered. The ancient writers also testify that a listing of sins is not necessary. For in the decrees, Chrysostom is quoted. He says, I do not say that you should make your sins known in public, 
nor that you should accuse yourself before others. But I would have you obey the prophet who says, Make known your ways before God, citing Psalm 37, verse 5. Therefore, confess your sins before God, the true judge, with prayer. Tell your errors, not with the tongue, but with the memory of your conscience, and so forth. And that thus far was Chrysostom within the article, returning to the end of the article here. And the gloss admits that confession is of human right only. Nevertheless, because of the great benefit of absolution, and because it is otherwise useful to the conscience, confession is retained among us. All right, that is the entirety of Article 25 on confession here from the Augsburg Confession. All right, uh, Pastor Beck, a lot of things that we've seen highlighted really throughout the Augsburg Confession here. I really should go back and count sometime, like how often they talk about, you know, that there's silence regarding the teaching of faith, especially from the Roman Catholics. Yeah. And they accent, this is really all related to the faith and the teaching of the faith. And then also an outflow of that, obviously, then too, is, is for the comfort and consolation of consciences, right? So get us into this article here a little bit, and especially with those kind of emphases that just kind of really jump out at you here. Right, right. So I, what I would like to do is I'd like to look at the kind of the status quo of where things had been now by this point for a couple hundred years. I want to talk about that and then sort of what is changed with the Reformation coming about going into the early 16th century. So what you have is for the Roman Catholic Church, confession would consist of three parts. Now, confession is rightly understood within the Roman Catholic Church. They call it, I mean, it is a sacrament for them. It's penance. It's This is something that is required by them. And so they will talk about the confession of the heart, the contritio cordis. I think I pronounced that one correctly, a little bit of Latin for you. The confession of the mouth, the confessio oris. And then the satisfaction of deeds, the satisfactio operis. I, I, I kind of faked my way through the Latin, but that's probably okay. Uh, basically, in these three parts, and you notice something that's, that's glaring from our perspective, right? If you have a Lutheran background, you know that confession consists of two parts. First, that we confess our sins, and second, that we hear the absolution from the pastor's mouth as from the mouth of God. But there was nothing of that in the three-part breakdown of confession that the uh, Roman Catholics knew in the 16th century. So for them, it started in the heart. It was something that they were sorry for their sin, whether they were afraid of punishment or whether it was out of perhaps fear of God. There was some debate about that. And then the actual confession itself, which they would include a very, very strict guideline, a rubric that would say that you must enumerate your sins. And they would even go so far as to say that, you know, that which is not confessed is not forgiven, which seems kind of, kind of harsh because, uh, you know, like the reformers, you know, famously say in Psalm 19, who can discern his ways? Who can count his errors? Who can count his sins? But so they're going to say that you have to confess, uh, you have to enumerate, you have to list off all of these sins for which you wish forgiveness. And then the satisfaction, this is actually where they would speak the forgiveness, uh, but this forgiveness would come with strings attached which again, if you've studied anything about the Reformation, this doesn't surprise you. The satisfaction of the deeds was the part that they had added onto it that said, you know, you need to demonstrate your sorrow and your, your right confession by going and by performing acts of charity, acts of mercy, acts of piety. And so this was actually intended, you know, you are forgiven, you have confessed, you are forgiven, but then you are sort of given homework 
which, you know, it's been a while since I've been on that side of the classroom. I don't know how I would respond in my late 30s to getting homework. But um, they get this homework that was, you need to go do this many acts of charity. You need to say this many Our Fathers, this many Hail Marys, this many acts of devotion, et cetera, so on and so forth. And all of that satisfaction was intended to ward off or to take care of temporal punishments. So your sins are forgiven in an eternal perspective kind of a way. Yes, you still get to go to heaven, but in terms of the temporal judgment for your punishments, you got to work that off. You got to make restitution for that. And so that was the way that the system had come to be set up throughout the Middle Ages, throughout uh, Peter Lombard and some of the others, uh, Thomas Aquinas, guys like that. Um, they were really big on this because you know, we have to motivate these Christians to do, you know, good works, to do loving things for their neighbor, because after all, didn't Jesus say, love your neighbor as yourself? I mean, doesn't the whole scripture say that? So that's where they're going with this. But I should also add, and I promise I'll turn back over the mic and let you say a thing, that the satisfactions, part of that was to ward off the temporal punishment of purgatory, right? So if you're baptized in the Roman Catholic Church from their perspective, and if you work the sacramental system, you will be saved. But again, sometime in the Middle Ages, they had come up with this concept of a place of purging, a place where you do pay for the temporal consequences. You know, it's like, uh, you know, the guy that asks the pastor, is there forgiveness for murder? You know, and you find out that the guy, you know, did do a murder. Well, yes, God will forgive you, but there are temporal consequences right here in time. Well, so they would actually take that and they would apply that to after you die, that there is a place that God has prepared where all the rest of those sins have to be taken care of and have to be purged away from us. And so that's kind of the system that they had in place in Luther's day, which, as you mentioned, it sort of robs people of some comfort. So any thoughts on that? And then I can get back into uh, the comfort side of things. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that sets up really well when that's the system in place. You begin to understand exactly why Martin Luther was driven to the reformation like i mean he himself was like going crazy under that system and probably a lot of other people were right i mean like this is a great burden there's no comfort found there sure if it's up to me and what i have well, to cer do certainly those who took their faith seriously yeah those who were as devoted to christ as luther was in his days you know when he entered the monastery and everything else he was looking for a gracious god and he just couldn't seem to find one because it seemed like he would confess every sin that he could think of. And then as soon as he was leaving the booth, you know, he would walk away and he'd say, oh, I thought of another, another handful of sins that I, I have never confessed. And so he was losing sleep over the matter. You know, I mean, there's a good argument out there that says that, you know, Luther was, he suffered from, you know, all kinds of things that we would talk about today as far as anxiety and depression. And, you know, he called it melancholy, but he went through some dark times. And a lot of that is because he didn't have somebody reminding him of the grace of Jesus Christ that covers all of his sins, you know, until he gets started with the Reformation, until his father confessor is pointing out to him, you know, that Christ does love him. And, and he's just looking in the mirror saying, how can he love a worm like me? Uh, but that's, that's exactly where we go next is into the comfort. I, I apologize, uh, Pastor Smith. I think I cut you off there. No, that's fine. Is <laughs> exactly where I was going to go anyway. So there you, you go. It's better. You're my guest. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, that is exactly right. And I think there were a lot of people like Luther that were very devout. And I think there are still today. Yeah. And I think that's part of the thing that happens here, right? Is that, you know, we at times can almost take it for granted 
this, you know, that there is free forgiveness kind of thing, that there's no strings attached, that I don't have to do these things. Obviously, this is still the teaching of Roman Catholicism still to this day on the matter of confession. Sure. But even there, like you see a lot of especially American Roman Catholics don't really quite buy that. And that's because the Reformation has had some effect even within the Catholic Church. Right. Yeah. And so, uh, well, and, and I might just throw in here too kind of the other side of this. And I think we talked about this a little more with Article 11, kind of the other side of this, right, is that where we do take it for granted, that's where you get like Luther's exhortation to confession that's appended to um, the Book of Concord here uh, for us. But then usually the large catechism that, you know, it's like, well, now that the gospel is here, all of you live like dogs, right? You know, you you just totally ignore this great gift of the free forgiveness. And I think that that makes the point here that that comfort, that consolation is found in kind of what I said up there and that, you know, actually you could maybe call this article on absolution, right? Because that's the focus here. Sure. No, absolutely. Uh, And I I just, uh, as we're getting in, kind of getting into the text here, moving from just the background and the setting and the scene and everything like that, when they say in the first line here that the body of our Lord is not usually given to those who have not been examined and absolved. Um, this actually, Luther was calling for this as early as 1523. He was uh, he had an, an order of mass and communion in which he says that this is our standard practice is, you know, when you are being given the sacrament, we do ask that you come and you confess your sins, that you come and you go through this rite for the sake of receiving the Lord's Supper. Uh, he also, 1528, wrote a little pamphlet, instructions for the visitors. Um, and then you made reference as well to the brief exhortation to confession that shows up uh, as usually appended to the large catechism. This is something that is part and parcel of what the Reformation is about, is we are not trying to overthrow everything that you know people would turn their nose up because they saw it on a TV show one time and they said, that's too Catholic, right? We're not throwing any of that kind of stuff out. We don't want to, we don't want to get rid of those kinds of things. And that'll maybe be a point that we'll make later is the fact that confession and absolution, while it is helpful and useful, the actual rite itself is not commanded in scripture, but it's a, it's a gift that's given to us. Specifically, absolution is, and then confession gives us that opportunity for absolution. And as they have here again in the first line of the article, that this is a prelude, this is a preparation, as St. Paul urges again in 1 Corinthians 11, 27, 28. This is the way that we examine ourselves is that we take a hard, long look in the mirror and we, we say out loud, we attest to our own sin and our own need for forgiveness. So that's, uh, I did want to point that out as well as we start to get into the text, because that's something that uh, Luther was very, he was very conscientious about was that we're not just throwing out everything that can be thrown out. There are things that have arisen over time that are beneficial for the people. And we do want to honor those things because the church fathers do get a say in what we do as the church. It's only in times that they, you know, get it wrong, that they step outside of where scripture speaks and oppose scripture uh, that we do have to kind of say, no, guys, you, you went off the deep end there. We got to go back to the Bible. Um, another thing that I think is really helpful. Can I, can I jump in real quick? Oh, yes. Yes, sir. I, I apologize. No, I'm hogging No, no, no. Again. That's all right. Uh, I want to say, I think it's very important that you brought that in. And I want to return to it, actually, and we'll probably, but about four minutes here or so before we'll take a break. So we'll pick that up on the other side of the break. But before we get there, because again, the way I kind of set this up here, I think, you know, when we understand the comfort, right, then we understand why we go to those things. And so you're dead on target and you're absolutely right. And you did say, you know, we bring this up later. And so I just wanted to, for the benefit of the listener, say we'll be returning to that. But 
again, foundational, I think, for that is to set up, you know, what is that comfort and consolation that we get, again, with the focus, the result of confession being the absolution, the free forgiveness of sins. So go ahead and cover that for us before break here, and then we'll pick up that line that you excellently highlighted there for us on the other side. Sure thing. So the comfort that we receive from holy absolution is the fact that in John chapter 20, when Jesus sent the apostles out, when he actually sent them, right, he breathes on them after he said, peace be with you. He says again, peace be with you. Whosoever sins you forgive, they are forgiven. And that gift of the keys, that office of the keys, that office of forgiveness, of unlocking the shackles that would hold us in sin, death, and in the power of Satan, um, it is absolutely released amongst not just the apostles, but uh, amongst all of all Christians. Uh, Now, within our churches, we generally tend to, in a formal way, in a public way, we tend to just give that authority to the pastors, but they are there to speak, as our, our liturgy says so beautifully, in the stead in the place of, and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver to you the good news that your sins are forgiven in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. That is the heart of absolution. That's the comfort that exists for us, is to be told that Jesus sent me by this office. He sent me to be the one to tell you your sins are forgiven. And you can believe me when I say I forgive you your sins in the triune name of God as surely as if Jesus tore open heaven, came down here, and said the very same thing with his own lips. And that's the beauty of the comfort. That's what brings us back in and what gives us that comfort that we we need, that Luther needed, um, that everybody needs. And that's, well, that's why being Lutheran is just awesome. I think that's as much as I can say on that. <laughs> <laughs> well, and yeah, Again, when and the reason I wanted those two things put together, right, is because as you so well set out for us, if the system is that basically you have to kind of make up for your sins, right? You kind of have to do these works, these these satisfactions, all of that system that's in place, right? There is no comfort. There is no peace because I'm never going to do it enough. Like you gave the example of Martin Luther just continually walking back in. It's like, well, I just thought of that, you know, and just, you know, it's, you're just never going to come to any rest. You can't and get I no think, satisfaction, I think is what you're trying to say. <laughs> yeah, that's a, yeah to use kind of uh, one of, one of our own prophets <laughs> or, or something of that nature. Right. Oh, yeah. yeah. But, but yeah, when we understand that comfort, then that consolation that we have in the free forgiveness, well, then we're going to have a whole different approach to coming to confession. And that's where I want to pick up on the other side of the break here is taking a look at that line that you highlighted for us again about the body of the Lord is not usually given to those who have not been examined and absolved. And they cite scripture. We want to get into some more of the scripture and so forth as well. But that that practice of practicing confession before receiving the Lord's Supper, that just seems so strange to us. And I think it's worthy of talking a little more about that. Mm, Once again, when we have that focus of, it's actually for our comfort and consolation and all of this and not a work that we have to do. Maybe we recover those things when we have the right understanding. So we'll pick that up on the other side of the break as we continue talking with our guest today, Pastor Dustin Beck. I'm your host, Pastor Sean Smith, and you're listening to Concord Matters on KFUO. Each weekday on The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah, we share and discuss stories of Living Boldly Lutheran. Including missionary updates, mercy work, events and topics applicable to your daily vocations, and maybe some fresh dark roast. The Coffee Hour weekdays at 9 a.m. on KFUO, underwritten by Concordia University, Wisconsin.
Concord Matters as we continue talking about Article 25 from the Augsburg Confession today on confession. And we're talking with our guest, Pastor Dustin Beck. He's pastor of Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Warda, Texas. Also one of those pastors involved with his circuit serving the newly established confessional Lutheran Church plan of Epiphany in Bastrop, Texas. And he teaches theology at Faith Lutheran High School of Central Texas. And Pastor Beck, going to highlight that last thing that you do there, teaching theology. I mean, because you only do that at the Lutheran High School, right? You don't do that as a pastor. No, Not never. At all, right? Never, ever. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> you and I were chatting here over the break, and I think this is important to highlight as well, that when we're looking at this, you know, also one of those things that really gets highlighted there, and I, I kind of pointed to it earlier, that in connection with the faith is the teaching of the faith. Sure, and, yeah. you know, we covered in that first segment really well the system that was at the time and then where the Lutherans take us with the free forgiveness and really teaching what that faith is. And that also gets us to some of these practices that I want to get to here as well in the second segment of, you know, like the practice of going to confession, especially before receiving the Lord's Supper which is just kind of falling completely out of use and so forth. Mm. And so kind of wrap all that together here for us. Help us understand here, how does the teaching of the faith really get us to this practice that they're emphasizing here of actually making use of this gift of confession and absolution? Sure. So tradition without teaching is just tradition for tradition's sake. And tradition for tradition's sake, it's idolatry. Oof. That might have been controversial. I don't know. So we have to teach traditions because traditions are, by definition, that which is handed down. And if you don't hand down the explanation, if you don't hand down the, the why behind it or the how we got to it, uh, well, then people will make up their own kind of ideas. And this is, after all, how you get into uh, the Middle Ages. Uh, you know, I, one of my favorite things, I don't, like we've said before in the previous segment, I don't do much Latin, uh, but I do know hocest corpus meum because that's Latin for this is my body. And it's also where the expression hocus pocus came from because the priests in the Roman Catholic Church would whisper that over the bread and people would say that, well, they're doing the hocus pocus up there. And that's where that kind of got tied to, well, they're doing that magical thing, right? Uh, but if you don't understand why we do the things that we do, then you really don't understand the things that we do at all. And so that's why in the first six lines of our, uh, of our dear listeners are following along in their books of Concord, I would bring special attention to in this first full paragraph, going down through line six, how many times it talks about the teaching uh, in line two. The people are very carefully taught about faith in the absolution. Contrast that with line three. Before, there was profound silence about faith. So if you're not going to attach faith to absolution, then absolution just becomes magic words. Faith is the gift, uh, the, the means by which we receive the absolution. Faith just spoken over a dead corpse, or I mean, absolution rather, spoken over a dead corpse, or absolution spoken over somebody who's not sorry for their sins, somebody who doesn't believe, well, it doesn't have the effect of, of actually granting that forgiveness because faith receives the absolution. It continues on. Our people are taught that they should highly prize absolution as being God's voice, pronounced by God's command. It continues on. They set forth the power of the keys. They are reminded of the great consolation it brings. Uh, we fast forward just uh, one more. They are taught that such faith in Christ truly obtains and receives the forgiveness of sins. Contrast that with before, satisfactions were praised without restraint, but little was said about faith. And so then they bring it home in the last line there in, in line six, 
our teachers have diligently taught the doctrine of repentance and laid it open. So I guess the, the challenging question for pastors like yourself and myself here to answer is, have we likewise taught and taught and taught and set forth and reminded, have we reminded our people of the importance of confession and absolution? And I understand that I'm kind of painting us into a corner here because we've got a lot of history between uh, the Augsburg Confession and ourselves. And over time, uh, you sort of had private confession and examination along with absolution that devolved down into announcing for communion, which at one time was actually seeking absolution. And then it sort of just became, you know, stop by and let the pastor know you're going to be here so that you know, if you're in an open sin or something like that, and he knows about it, he'll say, well, I don't know if you should come to communion, you know? And then it sort of, that Saturday morning tradition died out as well. Um, although we still have people in our pews that remember it. They remember it from their younger days. But then you go on to today where it's, you know, and I, I'm not, I can't remember if it was, I don't think it was TLH. Uh, maybe it was the Evangelical Lutheran hymn, hymn book before it, or one of the others um, that actually adds in the confession and absolution, the corporate confession and absolution, wherein the people will actually all confess together and then hear absolution all together during the divine service. Um, but, you know, I, and I'm not trying to downplay that or say that that's a bad thing at all, but it certainly makes people feel like maybe they don't need to come to private or individual confession and absolution because, well, I heard about that on Sunday, which probably gets us into a good time to talk about what on earth is the purpose of private confession and absolution, and that is to bind up our consciences, specific forgiveness for specific sins. Um, am, I, am I on track there with that? Uh, is that kind of the direction we might need to go? Absolutely. I'll just add to it. I think you made an excellent point there that, you know, and I think this happens in the church a lot, that we just kind of take for granted that our people know what this is and how to make use of it. Yeah. Even you see that with simple things like, you know, that they know how to use their Bibles. Well, if you're not actually really intentional of like teaching that and continually going over that, you know, even these very basic things can be lost. And so that's where, you know, especially for us as pastors, I think is important. And I like that we're seeing this in our church body, a recovery of teaching this and really intentionally, again, even to our children. I know in my practice as a pastor, I, commonly lead my confirmands through the practice of individual confession and absolution. And I teach them about confession and absolution and teach them and encourage them to make use of this gift. But if we don't ever actually do that, they're never going to make use of it, right? Because they'll just think, oh, it's that Roman Catholic thing that we don't do, right. right? And we've got it in the divine service and so forth. And so really, I mean, yeah, I mean, if if that's a direction you want to take us here too, is basically just give us our confirmation lesson on this here. Sure. So it's, as you had mentioned, and I think as we had talked about before the break, it's important to remind folks of the comfort that exists in this specific thing. And, and the specific thing being absolution. And I would even say that there is something that hits the conscience, that it soothes the conscience in a way in private absolution, that it may not always hit the mark in corporate or general confession and absolution. And the reason for that is because there's a lot of people in corporate confession and absolution. And, you know, the devil has his tricks. And one of his tricks is that as you were there standing in the pew or perhaps kneeling 
behind the pew confessing your sins. The devil is whispering in your ears, potentially, you know, you, you're not really sorry for that. You know that you're going to do that again. Maybe you're not even going to confess that at all. Maybe your mind is fixated upon that particular sin or that particular area of your life that is wicked. And then, uh, you know, when the pastor stands up, he turns around and faces you and starts pronouncing the absolution over all y'all, as we say down here in Texas sometimes. You know, the devil is whispering to you saying, he can't possibly mean you, right? He's talking about the rest of them that actually made a good confession, that actually meant what they said. There's no way that, that that man would forgive you or that Jesus would forgive you if he really knew how you felt about this. The difference there between that and between private or individual absolution is the same difference between when we have the invocation at the beginning of the service in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and when you actually have a baptism where there a child is, you know, who is being baptized? The one whose head is getting wet, right? When we have an invocation in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, who is remembering their baptism? Well, presumably it's, it's the baptized, you know, but at the same time, you want that specific, you want that personalized forgiveness to be the thing that is remembered because it joins us into the body of Christ. It makes us a part of the church, of the general, of the corporate, of the gathering. And so in the same way, confession and absolution in a private setting, more often than not, I, I, I tell you, um, Pastor Smith, uh, I know you've been a pastor, I think about a year longer than I have. Um, I'm 11 years out right now, and I've had two individuals that have ever come up to me in my office and said, Pastor, I would like for you to hear my confession. Um, have, have you had a couple, a handful? Uh, is that something that you experience on a regular basis? Yeah, again, I, because I take my confirmation students through it. And uh, when I was first out of seminary, I did college ministry and I took them through it and as well. I've had a few more, but sure. only after teaching and really kind of going through it and so forth right. quite a lot. There's a lot of teaching that goes into it, to be sure. But more often than not, the way that it starts for me is that somebody walks through my door and says, Pastor, I need to talk. You know, And I, I think that it's, it's a good thing to point out that pastors, we do not have the credentials, the training, the continuing education to be considered psychologists, counselors, licensed professional counselors. We, unless your pastor has gone through additional training, we do not have that. But that does not mean that we are not able to give some pastoral counsel, some pastoral guidance. But really and truly, the, the things that we have promised Jesus to do, our ordination vows, really revolve around being the one who proclaims forgiveness to you. And so I'll have people that'll come into my office and talk about something that they're going through. And one of the things that I kind of, you know, assume when somebody walks into my office who is not Jesus, I assume that they're a sinner. And I assume that somewhere in their issue, their pastor, I need to talk, something about this situation that's not going right is the fact that there is sin in their life. And so I've lost count of the number of times that I've kind of just said, well, you know, there's actually a thing that we can do right now that might help. Let's go into the church. Uh, they kneel at the rail. I sit just on the inside of the rail so that as they look at me, they see just on the other side, there is the crucifix on the cross. And we go through this short rite of private individual confession and absolution. And I say, you know, if, you, if there's nothing specific that you want to lay down right now, that's just fine. But the sins that are troubling you, that are burdening you, that you need to say out loud. And by the way, if I ever break confidence on this, if I ever tell somebody what you have told me, I have to, to be a person of integrity. I have to leave the ministry. I have to step down and never do this again for any reason, right? So you've got my word. I love that God has called me to this and I take it very seriously. 
lay it on me. Tell me this like you're telling Jesus, and I will tell you what he has said about that particular sin. And then we go to the absolution. And I've had, you know, repeat customers. Those are uh, one of the individuals that, that ever came to me uh, was somebody that had started off as a pastor. I need to talk. And then it came back to a, you know, will you hear my confession again? I'd, I'd like to, I'd like to lay some more stuff on you. I'm like, well, you know, lay it on Jesus, but I'm right here to listen. Yeah. So that's kind of the quick version of teaching confession and absolution is by talking about the specific nature of it, talking about the specificity of the forgiveness that is applied to the specificity of the sin that is confessed. And that being said, you know, one of the things that they keep pointing out in the Augsburg Confession is that we're not requiring or even asking you to confess every sin, just the ones that are troubling your conscience, just the ones that are keeping you up at night, or just the ones that maybe you want some, you know, I've actually had somebody that asked for accountability with a thing. You know, can you remind me of this? Can you walk through me with this struggle that I've got? Well, yeah, I'd, I'd be happy to, right? And so that's where it comes from, from our perspective, uh, rather than you got to list every single thing. You know, uh, Melanchthon actually calls this uh, in the Apology for Article 11, uh, he actually calls this the torture of consciences that the Roman Catholic priests would really just, they would tease out every little detail. They would ask people to basically relive this thing that was plaguing the confet, you know, the one who was giving confession and the penitent. They would ask them to just keep going through it in detail over and over again to tease out every little bit. It kind of almost reminds me of, did you ever see the movie The Goonies back when we were kids? Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you know, the, um, what's the, the little, little guy, Chunk, is that his name? Yeah. Yeah. The little guy where they're asking him, like, you know, tell us, tell us what you did, kid. And he goes back and he's telling them this story of, you know, uh, making people throw up in a movie theater and everything like that. And he's just like, and that's the worst thing I ever did. Like, I mean, the terror that can be done by somebody who is given spiritual authority, even more so than in the Goonies movie. Uh, But that's the kind of thing that was happening. And that's the kind of thing that the Reformation sought to put a stop to is now you come when you want to hear forgiveness for a thing. Now, when something is plaguing and it is causing you to lose sleep, bring that to the feet of the cross where you will hear forgiveness for that sin. And you can take that to the bank. You can take that as the word of God for that situation. I feel like I'm hogging the mic again, Pastor Smith. No, that's all right. You're covering (laughs) great ground and a lot of things that we want to continue to highlight. And I I probably brought this up on Article 11 as well, and, and it's worth bearing repeating you know, as you mentioned, the Goonies movie, you know, just one of those classics, of course, who hasn't seen that? I mean, of right. Course. And, you know, they they'll name scenes. Maybe that's a later thing, you know, kind of appended to things. But they actually call that scene Chunk's Confession. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> and I think, you know, it kind of speaks to, you know, my observation, just even speaking for myself and my own upbringing and so forth. Oh, why don't I go to confession? Well, exactly what you highlighted, right? We have all these false notions that you know, without teaching of it and intentional kind of walking us through it to see the gift that it is or a, a positive experience with it, you know, whether you went in that for that or not. Uh, and I agree that's how some of my confessions come out as well, right? People end up in confession. You know, it's kind of an accidental thing. I think that's kind of a common experience. You know, it's like you don't realize that you need this, but this really is what I have to give you here. But, uh, you know, we come into these sorts of things with all sorts of these false understandings of what it is. And so I just think about it like, oh, I got to list all this stuff and like basically lay myself naked before this person, you know, essentially like, you know, not physically naked. That would lead to other issues, right? Sure. (laughs) We covered that under marriage of priests. But Uh, uh, (laughs) yeah, you know, just this, you know, 
basically, you know, it, it leaves you feeling vulnerable and raw. And that's, that's true. But this is also an important part of the teaching as well as right. You know, of course, Jesus already knows. And we're not even asking you to list every little worst thing that you ever did, like chunk or anything like that. Right. You know, we're, yeah. we're simply saying, you know, like if this is weighing on you and this is the other part that I always give and encourage as well, you know, you can look at Freud and those kind of guys and they were very intentional. They wanted to replace the church. And so right. even the way that we talk about going for counseling and things like that, you know, we got to be very careful with that. And we actually did an episode on that with Dr. Rick Mars, who you and I both had in seminary. Oh, sure. And yeah. he talked about why Concord matters for counseling. And even if you're going to a Christian counselor that can give you, like a pastor, you know, some direction from God's word on addressing these things or handling these things or understanding what's going on in life and so forth, what they cannot do, other than what the general Christian can do, but what they cannot do is what God has given you a pastor for, and right. that's to stand in the stead of Christ and forgive your sins. And to put it another way, and, and that's, a, that's a wonderful point to make, the way that they talk about it, or, or you're familiar with doxology, right? Absolutely. Yeah, so it, within doc, uh, the doxology program, a continuing education program for pastors, one of the things that they, a distinction that they make is between the care of souls and the cure of souls. And so we absolutely want to care for you, dear Christians, right? And that's why the pastor may speak additional scripture passages to comfort and strengthen the faith of those who have great burdens of conscience and are sorrowful and distressed in our individual confession absolution right. You know, this is a this is an idea that the pastor can be there with you. He's, he's not just a, some sort of a robot where, you know, you say your sins and then he says, I forgive you. There is that care aspect, that coach aspect, that counsel aspect, but then Article 25 here on confession, like you said before, it really should just be called the Article of Absolution because what is going to be delivered to you is the thing that you can't get from anyone else. I am going to stand here and I'm going to place my hands on your head and say, in the stead and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you all of your sins in the triune name of God. After you have said, you know, yes to the question, do you believe that the forgiveness that I offer is not mine, but Christ's? Yes, I believe. Here's the forgiveness. I think that's just wonderful. Absolutely. And I believe we're both docs grads and we've actually yes, even had Pastor Brady Finnern, who's now President Brady Finnern of the Minnesota North and right. one of the hosts of the KFUO shows here. But he was on and did also an episode on why Concord matters for the care of souls. There you go. And he's a doxology fellow and talked about all those things as well. And see, this is where I'm saying, you know, all of these things really do fit together. We talk about it all the time. It's a body of doctrine. Yeah. And so we're coming in at it at confession here. But as we've highlighted many times here, obviously it's relating to our confession of faith and all of these other things fit in together. And so we're going to see how our life fits in that with as well. So the other point that I wanted to make is, is that, you know, again, even with the show that we had with Dr. Rick Mars on why Concord matters for counseling, you know, that was kind of my main takeaway from being a student of his and also kind of grossly oversimplifying that excellent episode that we had him on is, you know, basically you need a pastor for confession, Yeah. but it is, you know, counseling is still a gift. So I'm not telling you don't go to counseling, but I always like to put it this way. I say, if you are going to counseling, especially if you're dealing with shame or anger or conflict or those sorts of things, you have something to confess, go see your pastor. Right. And so I always encourage my folks of, yeah, I have no desire 
to be a very poor counselor. <laughs> and a lot of people view pastors that way. Right. If you're coming into me, I'm going to stick to scripture. I'm going to stick to the absolution. You may not be looking for that, but I'll try to help you see why you actually need that. And especially if I can give any encouragement, if you are making use of a gift that we have and the creation, like doctors and everything else, you know, mm -hmm. that I would fit in under that kind of category. You know, if you're making use of counseling, you need to be seeing your pastor too for the gifts that he has to give you, which are true salve, right? Yeah. Certainly for the soul. Um, we probably have, you know, about uh, five, six minutes here or so, maybe a little more than that. But great conversation, obviously. I mean, so much we could talk about. I feel yeah. like I say this every week. We're going to run out of time, you know, and, <laughs> and it's just the way it is. Sure. But they do highlight here, as you brought out, you know, again, those false understandings of we're not saying you have to name every sin and things like that. They really get in heavy. They were doing it before, but they really get in heavy with the citing of scripture, who can discern his errors and so forth. Talk some more of scripture passages and so forth for us here. Right. So you get Psalm 1912, uh, as we've mentioned, as was also in Article 11, who can discern his errors. So who can who can count how many sins we have? You know, I mean, because there are times when I, you know, I don't even realize that I am sinning. Also, Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Um, you know, we I don't think that we ever truly understand it. Again, last time that we were here, we were talking original sin, uh, you and I. Uh, so we're talking about this great need for absolution, but it's, I think that to understand absolution, you do have to try to try to understand better your own deceitful heart, your own sickness. But again, how can we ever fathom the depths of the sorrow that our sins have wrought such that God's son, you know, had to die to atone for it? I mean, that's, it's unfathomable. You can't wrap your head around it. Um, so again, they make that point. They just, they drive it home. If only sins that can be named or forgiven, consciences could never find peace. For many sins cannot be seen or remembered. Yeah. So they make this point that says, you know, and this entire last paragraph basically is an, an entire statement against naming every sin. And I think if I'm being honest, I'm, I'm being honest. Um, <laughs> I think that this all comes from this distinction that we draw between something that is by human right or by divine right. So baptism, the Lord's Supper, Jesus said, do these things. Okay. But in terms of a formal right of confession and absolution, Jesus never said, you know, you need to go to your priest and you need to say, Father, forgive me for I have sinned. It has been you know, six weeks, six months, six years. It's been a lifetime. You know, this is my first confession. No, there is no formal moment in which Jesus gives this to the apostles and says, thus you shall do henceforth and forevermore. Now, certainly there are exhortations within scripture about confessing our sins. Uh, I'm looking at James 5.16, Galatians 6. These are important for us. We should confess our sins to one another, but we also need to understand that absolution is the big deal here. And that's where I think this distinction falls apart for the Roman Catholic side, is that they have so ingrained it into their DNA. It's part of their, uh, their sacramental system that you have to do confession. And if you have to do confession, well, then are sins forgiven if they are not confessed? Like you had said before, I think that even the Roman Catholics since the Reformation have kind of loosened up to this, and they have all kinds of sort of uh, provisos and other places where they have sort of loosened up and they're like, you should make a good effort to try to confess all of your sins. You know, uh, you, sh you should try really hard, but 
you know, and then they kind of in the fine print say, and God will take care of the rest or something like that, or you can just do them in purgatory. But the important thing for us is to say that this is not something that is depicted by Jesus as you must do this. Instead, this is a gift that is given. Jesus sent them out and said, whosoever sins you forgive, they are forgiven. And the disciples go out and they start forgiving people's sins, just like when Jesus would forgive people's sins. Remember when the, uh, the Pharisees, the scribes, they were getting upset because Jesus forgave the paralytic's sins. I just love that. And Jesus says, which is easier to say to this man, your sins are forgiven uh, or to say, get up, take your mat and go. But so that you know that the son of man has authority to forgive sins. He turns to the paralytic and he says, get up, take your mat and go. And he does. That's the gift of absolution for us. That's what this article is all about, is the fact that this is not some sort of a box to check off. Did you do this? Has it been a year since your last confession? Instead, it is the free forgiveness of Jesus. Anytime you need it, anytime that you ask for it, um, your pastor, dear listener, will never grow tired of forgiving you your sins. It's what we've been called and ordained to do. I find no greater joy than when someone is willing and wanting when someone yearns for the forgiveness of sins and they come and say, pastor, I need to know that I'm forgiven for this. Absolutely. Here you go. Yeah. And I think this answers really well. That second line that we wanted to highlight there as well. Again, the body of the Lord is not usually given to those who have not been examined and absolved. Sure. That's that tension that's going on, right? It doesn't really serve the church well if we kind of mandate where scripture has not given a command a mandate yeah exactly that yes you have to stop by the pastor's office to announce for communion and observe confession and so forth before you can receive the lord's supper on sunday i think it's a great practice yeah i try to make use of that and go to my father confessor and things like that i maybe don't even do it every week and i'm a pastor right so you know we don't want to make a law out of this here but when we understand what a great gift it is well, then, as Luther says in his brief exhortation, right, you know, and this is the Sean Smith paraphrase version of it. Well, then you're going to beat down your pastor's door and demand that he hear your confession, right? Right. Yes. So, yeah, that's the tension. And just real quick here, before we get your parting thoughts for the day, I think this also then sets up how we're going to look at the next article here, Article 26 on the distinction of meats. That's all about the difference between kind of that Christian freedom in human arrangements and how we practice the piety of our faith versus what is commanded in scripture. And we always want to keep that tension in mind as well. And so I think that we see that connection and we'll talk a lot more about this as it relates to article 26 on the distinction of meats. But uh, as we have just a minute or so here to wrap up today, go ahead and give us uh, your party thoughts here, Pastor Beck. Sure. One of the greatest struggles that I've had since I've been a pastor is getting people to know that my door is always open, that this is never going to be an inconvenience for me that if you need to talk, there's always going to be somebody here to talk. And it's, you know, your pastor is always here for your good. The thing that I think we should take away from this article on confession and absolution is the fact that this is free. This is for you. This is for your good. It is for your benefit. The times that I've experienced the most joy in the ministry, some of them uh, have been those times when I'm able to pronounce that forgiveness. The times in my own life when I've gotten off the track, when I've nearly fallen over, you know, are times that I have righted uh, or been righted, I should say, uh, been made to stand upright again by hearing words of absolution, words that say that sin that you just said out loud, which is ter a terrifying thing. As you mentioned earlier, it's, it's shameful and it's regrettable. And it's, it's the kind of thing that's embarrassing, but then it's received. 
with words of forgiveness from Jesus. So that is the great joy for us is that this is free. This is not a have to, it's a get to, it should be a want to. God grant it for the sake of Jesus that we would hear these words of absolution as often as we want them, need them, which is always and forevermore. That is well said by Pastor Dustin Beck. Thank you for joining us for Concord Matters today and teaching us this Lutheran confession on confession, and I'll also say an absolution, really, from Article 25 of the Augsburg Confession. Next week, we'll take a look at Article 26 on the distinction of meats. Thank you, Pastor Beck, for joining us again for Concord Matters today. My pleasure, Pastor Smith. And thank you also to our underwriter, Wicking Vicar. Check out their performance clerical wear at wickingvicar.com. Pastor Beck, I know you're a fan of them. I'm wearing one right now. Absolutely, me too. So go get yours, all right? And thank you also, dear listener, for stopping by today. And until next time, keep confessing, church.